Cradeline Network. the law. This is the 44th episode and of Big Red One. My name's Conrad, alongside Freddie Collide. This is the podcast for two Americans reading through the Judge Dread magazine. This episode we're covering Judge Dread magazine for August and September 1994. That's volume two, issues 60 to 62. This episode, we're clearing the decks for Wilderlands as Dread explores Hestia, and we finish up Karen, Harmony, and Anderson while briefly checking in Britsit Brute. O'Rourke and Heavy Metal Dread. If you are along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, the Complete Case Files 21, the Heavy Metal Dread Collection, Judge Anderson, the Sci Files Volume 2, and the Judge Dread Magazine issues 288, 344, and 348. How you doing, Eli? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Ready for some exciting magazine action? Always ready. Mega action, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah mega action or action mag. I don't know. We, action we'll mag. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get started with story one, Judge Dredd. Script about John Wagner, art robot Carlos Siscara, learning robot Tom Frame. Okay, so quick recap. We're on the planet Hestia. Dredd's been arrested for robot drudge shenanigans. Dredd, Chief Judge Magruder, and Magruder's assistant, Castillo, along with a bunch of uh, Mechanismo robot judges, are all headed to a temple of the aliens of this planet of Hestia, the Nomen. So that's how, that's where we are. Story starts we're sort of with the framing device of Castillo's uh, journal, talking about incoming exciting events, though it starts out kind of boringly as we look at some sponge rocks that are native to, he- to Hestia, and it's sort of like... It's basically coral that is like a spongy rock that just kind of exists. Like, oh, yeah, they, they ho- each one hosts an ecosystem. Oh, that's mm-hmm. very interesting. Mm-hmm. But suddenly the ground shakes and a giant hairy rhino with a big bone helmet thing shows yeah. up. Oh, no. There's a bunch of them and it's a stampede. A couple stampedes this episode. <laughs> Dread grabs a gun and tries to shoot one, but its armor's skull is so hard the bullet just sort of bounces off. Does a leg shot, but that's not enough to slow the tide of uh, rhino flesh. Dread and Castile fire high X rounds on, at them, though, and that turns the tide of, stamp, of the stampede away from where they're all waiting. And we learned that this whole, all these animals are being, uh, and the stampede was caused by a bunch of hunters. The Gruder's pissed. The Mechanismos didn't take any action. And it's one of those, like, you know, they're, they're robots. So we have to tell them, like, hey, there's a giant stampede. Help me out, you know? Right. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, and, but the, so, so, so the mechanismo stood fast while Dread was the one that actually you know, helped save that. In the end, um, we also, there's also ends up being kind of a, uh, a dances with wolves moment here where they, we see that the hunters only like harvest the choicest parts from the, uh, the rhinos that they kill and like leave the rest of the carcass like, you know. To decay uh, out in the uh, in the land, I guess, or like an an Avatar two moment. Mm, similar, yeah, similar move. <laughs> just want the brain juice, otherwise just toss the body out. Right. Um. Then then local girl Phoenix, who's sort of you know born on Hestia and has like pink hair and stuff like that. She right. she chides humans for being so cruel, 
and Castillo's like, hey, like you're human too. No, I don't know sometime. Right. <laughs> we finally arrive at the No Men Temple, which is this big silver dome surrounded by cool rock sections and like a kind of a alien Mount Rushmore carved on on um, right. around it. Yeah, all, all almost the same though. Yeah. Ooh, Listen, I mean, they're aliens. I'm sure they have some differentiations that they can tell, but definitely yeah, to me, right. Right. the aliens mm-hmm. all look pretty similar. Right. Um, I'm being insensitive. You're right. That's pretty, I gotta... Something. Yeah. But it was built 14,000 years ago and is mysterious because now the no men are like uh, nomadic, like wanderers. They don't really have a civilization anymore. Like, how do they go from building these big buildings to not doing that? Like, who knows? Anyway, they head in. And, like, the tour guide warns that many find it disturbing to stay too long in there. They enter by torchlight into what's called the Hall of Voices, where dozens of carved heads on the walls, making, like, sort of, like, ooh, faces, um, are, they're, they're all attached, and, like, as wind enters the temple, heads then sort of make noises, and it sounds like whales, apparently. Um, and Phoenix also says that these sounds are used by the, no, are the song of the no men, which they also used to leave messages and stuff on Phoenix and Castillo continue to talk, and we learn that Phoenix's grandma wants to send her to Earth because she's going too native here on Estia. Um, but Phoenix worries that leaving the planet would kill her. Back outside, Magruder notices a no-man riding through the desert on like some kind of brontosaurus beast and sends a mechanismo robo-judge to like bring him back alive. Seems like a bad idea, to be honest. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Next, um, in issue 61, we talked about this a little, a little bit before the show started, Eli. Um, in the editorial, they mentioned that uh, Carlos Escara is using a, a computer like com- a computer coloring system for the story starting here. And I, think, and I think you can kind of tell the difference Yeah. in the coloring of the comic from 61. Yeah, pretty much immediately. Uh, yeah, you can, you can tell that effect. Um, can you sort of yeah. describe what the difference is? Yeah, is, I well, guess? the colors are much more... Because saturated isn't the correct word, um, but um, a little more techno, they're a little more psychedelic. The greens are much more of a highlighter green. The pinks are much more of a highlighter pink. Um, it's that same thing when uh, I feel like when artists first get into digital art and because digital art can have such a wide range of colors that it can use. When you're doing it traditionally, you kind of understand how you put things on the paper and kind of how the paper accepts it. But when you first go digital, at least, and I'm assuming this is early digital too. I don't even know what programs they were using, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 1994, so I feel like anything on the computer is pretty early at this point, uh-huh. right? But it it's uh, it comes with a the colors almost look garish, like they're very just way too saturated because people don't know how to do the subtlety yet. So their mm-hmm. their blues are like electric highlighter blue, and like um, and even their gradients, how they use to um, like show the difference between metal texture and like human texture like if you look on like mechanismo and versus dread just the shoulder pads they try to make it look shiny but it comes off way too corrected and then on judge on dreads like uh armor they try to make like shades and shadows but it comes out way too grungy so i don't know it just mm-hmm. it's um jarring and i'm i don't know i'm, I'm assuming when this came out there had to be people be like oh my goodness so cool this is like the coolest thing ever 
Uh, I think it's kind of cool. I don't know. Maybe I'm too too used to hand to hand. Like, like I'm so used to this era that it's always like in the mid, you know, when I'm reading Mm -hmm. the, like, I'm always in the air that they're coming out. So stuff that mm. would have been cool in 94 definitely me now. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I think uh, just how digital art has been modified in recent times, this is very like, okay, they didn't know what they were doing. Like, there, there are much better ways to um, capture theme and tone because, you know, the color palette is a huge part of setting the tone. Uh, so everything sure. looking like disco is like is it was disco what you were going for here? Well, I think I think some of that is intentionally a scare. Mm. I gotta say, if just because I know that <laughs> I feel like I really associate him with having some really wild color palettes, even back in like the seventies mm. and early eighties, right. and right. very yeah. likely to have like likely to have more more pinks and purples than you might expect from mm. a boys comic. I guess right. <laughs> just in like backgrounds. And I could I could see that. I can do that. And I said, if it's translating, then I think that's that's the best part about it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's, to me, it's just, I think that sometimes it's, it, it is a little bit more noticeably computer-based, I guess. Like, I mm-hmm. guess in the first part of 61, like, there's this there's this image of a, of, a, of, a, of a robo-judge from the back and his, like, sort of the, how the light hits his robot, like, his, his metallic body and stuff seems mm-hmm. really different. Yeah. Previously, yeah. and then... Later in 61, there's this um, desert shark that it looks like it's made out of a bunch of like sort of texture brushes, you know, from like, <laughs> from like Photoshop or something. That right. Sort of yeah. Thing. Yeah. It's, it's fun. And, you know, it's nice. It's going to um, I'm excited to see how it develops if they keep doing digital or. Oh, if yeah. They... It, yeah. I, I believe he does. And I think generally like, you know, um, I think especially in the magazine, this is where or at this point in the magazine, at least this is where these sort of like new techniques and technologies being sort of mm-hmm. yeah. figured out as, as we go, basically. Right. You know, it's very, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the nature of art. I'm sure that um, this happened in the same thing with AI art. They're going to take our jobs. They can't use digital art. What's going to, what's going to happen to the common man. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it all works out in the end. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, here we let's keep going. Okay, good. Thank you very much, Eli, though. I really appreciate your insight on this stuff. This no problem. Thing. <laughs> when I say that, when I say that it's different, that's one thing. And I look at it, I'm like, ooh, like look at the look at the fancy shininess. I don't mm-hmm. have any any of these terms, you know? right? <laughs> so anyway, though, after being ordered to do so, a robot judge goes to tase one of these no men, and he does and knocks it from its mount, but it just kind of gets back up and starts to ride off again. And the robot judge has been completely shut down, like all of its electronics completely scrambled and stuff like. That. Disturbed and angry, Magruder has another robo judge go kill the alien, and as it does so, it knocks Dread out when Dread tries to interfere. The bot kills the no man as the locals yell at Magruder, and she dismisses th- them as superstitious. And Dread just says, "Ah, Magruder's insane. Get out of here." Mm-hmm. Uh, Castillo chides Dread for obeying the law to allow that mad woman Magruder to stay in power. Like, if you think she's crazy and dangerous, why are you letting her still be chief judge, bro? That's not cool. And right. That's like, I got to obey the law. And she's like, well, then the law's like stupid. Like, what are you doing? The crew, anyway, the, the crew heads off to a ranger station as night falls. The whole place is covered in fencing and it's a shark barrier because they got dune shark sharks that, you know, fl- that, that swim through the sand, like, I don't know. 
I, I I thought immediately of uh, some of the like small monsters and monsters in, in uh, the most recent Ooh, Monster Hunter. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> That's a reference I can get behind. Hey hey. <laughs> um, anyway, but these ones are much more terrifying. They're these big flying murder sharks with big teeth come out of the sand dunes and stuff. They surround the place, but are held back by the fence until a patrol ship starts flying in. It's got engine trouble and needs to land, but they're covered in sharks. The pilot tries to evade the sharks, but it's no good. They got him. The sharks eat the ranger and send his vehicle flying out down into the outpost, taking out their defenses. Humans try to shoot down the shark as it comes flying in, including Dread, or as they come flying in, the sharks do it, including Dread, who manages to grab another gun. Um, but one of the sharks goes underground and comes up beneath one of the robo-judges, eating his legs, destroying it. As this happens, Castillo's trying to get Magruder away from these monsters, and one comes right at him. Magruder calls a Mechanismo to help her, but the robot, as he tries to shoot at the shark, I think, like, Magruder's in the way or, like, would be hit. And so the robot gets a, a, a code 12 override and misses the shot. Castillo then high-X the high X, uh, bullets the shark and passes out. You see Dredd use like a metal bar that he rips off a tanker to impale a shark and stuff. It's- <laughs> Later, we learn that Magruder dragged Castillo to safety. And when Castillo wakes up, Magruder talks to her and is very disturbed and wonders if the robots are plotting against her too. Oh no! Out of respect for the dead, they're ending their trip early, and Magruder's definitely seen it as a disaster. She's not going to sell any robot judges. At this point. Um, alone with Dread, Castillo mentions Magruder's spiraling paranoia and chides him once again for saying that it's not his problem, that the chief judge is insane. And that's the end of this story, but it will be continued in the pages of 2000 AD and then the magazine as well, as we're about to start the... Wilderlands mega epic, which will cover both, um, be in both comics, will be covering separately in the Wilder Zone. Yumi and Fox getting back together to talk about these Judge Dread adventures. Eli, I'm pretty excited. Nice, pretty excited. Yeah, should be good. Anyway, what do you think about this? Your Tenth Planet stuff. It's very much just sort of setting things up for mm-hmm. this epic. But I think there's some interesting stuff in there. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're hitting so many uh, tropes all in order. I have a hard time knowing which what to expect next because they're doing the old, you guys are all superstitious. No way this ancient tomb is haunted. And right. also like, uh, technology will save all of us. Just, oh, no, this stupid technology. They're <laughs> doing a lot about um, uh, the head of their time. Like they're dealing with the same troubles I deal with, with my Alexa, you know, bringing, <laughs> I got to tell you to do that. I mean, why don't you just understand that that's how it's supposed to work. We should have all researched this and heeded its warning before oh, all the robot stuff started happening. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to see the, uh, they, they did seed a little something with that code 12 thing in the mechanismo. Mm, right. I'm going to assume is like some rule about like, not hurting either a judge or a chief judge or, or the chief judge mm-hmm. or something like that. But that then yeah. sort of makes Magruder even more paranoid and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, shaping up to be pretty fun. I'm excited to see where they end up going with it. Yeah. And I think uh, there's also doing a lot to just sort of set up this world as being full of mysteries and hostile wildlife and like mm-hmm. that. So we'll see. How right. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. I do love weird 
super monsters. You know, we got uh, uh, two-horned helmet rhinos. We got uh, flappy uh, eel sharks in the sand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it was like a fire people... rain previously. Right. Kind of... Yeah. I love when ecosystems don't make any sense. and But they're like, hey, that's just how it is over here. Because I think that's accurate. I think that is how ecosystems on other planets would be. Yes. Yeah. Ridiculous. Of course they wouldn't make sense to us, you know? Yeah. Like, exactly. Why, why, why should they? They don't, have to, they don't have to justify themselves to us, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. It was nice to see in the uh, creators have fun with their, you know, with their, uh, their fiction. Totally. And so that, in turn, takes us to our next story. Story two, Judge Karen. A script about John Freeman, art about Adrian Salmon, letter about Gordon Robson. All right. A mysterious shape-changing bacteria called the Skinner is running rampant through Mega City One. Only side Judge Karen can stop it, hopefully. <laughs> At the Grand Hall of Justice... An SJS judge threatens to send a Judge McKinley to the chief, and McKinley's okay with that, because he's the Skinner! <laughs> Inside a vision, Karen learns that a judge she recently, like she saw at the end of last episode, is also the, was also the Skinner, and tries to put together a plan to catch the monster, as the Skinner then attacks the SJS judge, and Karen catches that act of violence on like, her side scan. Karen springs into action as the Skinner arrives at the chief judge's desk. Oh, geez. It's apparently taking place in the past in comparison to um, our current dread timeline. Don't worry about it too much. <laughs> Luckily, Magruder's made of stern stuff, so she fights against the Skinner. As the other judges arrive on the scene, they blast the monster with incendiary rounds, and the lights go out. And when they go back on... It's one of those like, oh, anybody could be the Skinner. What's going on? But Karen knows who it is because I guess Skinner doesn't cast a shadow. I, mm-hmm. I, I guess this is where this sort of very blocky black and white um, art style is a detriment to the story because I just haven't been looking at shadows very much this whole time. I right. Because do they actually make sense? Are they where they need to be? It's yeah, it's very hard to actually parse it. Yeah. So she, Karen and the Skinner have a quick, like, we're not so different. You and I kind of sit kind of discussions and then she blasts it. <laughs> what a mess. Oh, geez. The day is saved. But then back at the gene tech company, that talking monkey from last time grabs what he thinks is food, but is actually another canister of the Skinner. The end with question marks. Yes, but Karen will return in uh, the fall of this. A couple months. And that's Skinner. What do you think? Uh, it was fun. It was fine. You know, um, I was hoping for a little bit more of a twist going. But you're right. It was the twist was like, bet you didn't see this coming due to the art style we used. I'm like, well, that's not a good. Yeah, like, I feel like, yeah, it's it's kind of at odds. Like you kind of want for mm. a thing where the, the like I like the black and white for a story that's based around shadows, I guess. Yeah. But not like mm. not this solidly black and white. Like this is mm. too black and white. Right. Yeah, yeah, because they almost went with a like an Art Deco type of look where things are kind of abstracted, abstracted and simple, simplified. Um, yeah, and I think even if they were going to go for this high contrast thing, they would have had to have more realistic figures and like realistic light and shadow to make it so that it makes sense. Because a lot of it's just like this looks cool. This is the angle that it works, and it doesn't matter about physics or like you know logic or anything like that. So then to tie it into an actual like 
physical real world thing it's like it's like looney tunes trying to use physics it's like right. or the looney tunes world why is the answer right. is gravity well you've been ignoring gravity this whole time what do you mean uh <laughs> i didn't know that was canon in this world yeah well it right. is it turns out <laughs> or at least a or at least a uh like a realistic version of gravity for the record right. gravity is a big part of looney tunes but it's oh, also i guess that's true <laughs> weird yeah, and situational you know right yes that's that's a good distinction but i know what you mean yeah it's just like it's a detail that's hard to tell with salmon's art style just because it means it like just because it's so hard to tell what's a shadow and what's shading mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. yeah overall i love the hair i'm excited to see uh this judge and some other stuff uh yeah. seeing some another artist take uh stabs at it because i'm curious about what she looks like and i said the art style is kind of kept her abstract in my head it's true i think there was an image of her in uh, in a recent in the recent mega special that that i looked at with uh tony esmond that that had karen i think okay. she actually has like red hair or something mm, like that. got it didn't Some look the way i was expecting her to i must right. say from how she's been drawn so far mm. yeah because in my head she's just garnet from steven universe just this Large right. woman with the just huge block afro. Yeah, and, big, uh, big square head. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's hard, <laughs> you know, the style is because I think cause I've, I've seen at least one picture of her where she's like a white lady with a boot, which is not the oh, same. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I, I could see me, myself, even if I have seen that image, I wouldn't have thought that was her. Just kind of, oh, who's this other person who has that yeah. same name? Weird. Absolutely. <laughs> Weird they would give them <laughs> the same name like that. <laughs> Totally. And hey, speaking of the same character with multiple art styles, Eli, let's continue on to story three, Brit Sit Brute. A script about Robbie Morrison, art robots, Nick Percival, Jousis, and David Milgate, letting robot Steve Potter. So last seen in 1993, Judge Newt, the Brit Sit Brute, is back. This is a trilogy of stories by different artists, starting with Nick Percival. Opened in the office of Harley Goldsnip Talent Agency, where a fancy agent's office is attacked by a fat guy in a Viking outfit. It's Lucio Lucio Borgia, master opera singer. Ooh. The agent waiting for him is actually Brit Brute. <laughs> we flash back about a week ago to see Borgia's path of destruction, liquefying a media magnate pulverizing an impresario, shattering, sh- shattering a soprano, all these dead guys, victims of a powerful so- sound weapon, and people who robbed Borgia of his opera house. He now has a son- now uses his voice as a sonic weapon. He goes to blow away Newt, and then he heads off. Like, he kind of knocks him out with his psychic scream. At, at the theater tonight is the Brits. The Brit sits are being held, which I guess are like the Grammys, but for Brit, you know, for England, I guess. And the brutes there in full Britsit brute garb seems to be partially deaf, deaf and over the objections of uh, someone named Ga- of a uh, Garner, I guess maybe his partner. There's some of what are clearly like caricatures and jokes of the British music scene. There's a, a dude with a green and red spotted parrot puppet and a boy band called Fancy That, among others. Um, <laughs> Mr. Blobby's letting them in. I definitely recognize him. But, um, anyway, Borgia jumps in and smooshes that boy band. And then does a monologue, prepares to destroy the award show attendees of the Sonic song. But Newt attacks and Borgia sings him again in various pitches and tones. 
but Nuke takes him out the old, but Nuke has deafened himself briefly. And so he's able to resist the attacks and take him out the old fashioned way with a kick to the groin. Ah, classic. Yes. (laughs) Next, uh, Jousis takes over on art as Quentin Fraud, a cannibal chef, seems to be hosting a cooking show while preparing a dude to be roasted. And this is broadcast on like pirate TV, basically. You learn that SAS head, that's the... Brits at Fruits Division, the SAS, head by Judge Major, is a parody of UK politician John Major. He's been kidnapped by Freud. You see that happen as he's taken for a burger joint. Luckily, Brute's on the case and finds Freud pretty easily. Bursts right through a skylight into his kitchen, as you do. Gotta burst through these skylights, Eli. That's very oh, yeah. important. <laughs> the chef then reveals his assistant, a giant murder bot named Clive. The pair of them fight around a little bit, but eventually Newt's able to toss Freud into Clive's onboard microwave and cook the mad chef to death. And, oh, man, the irony. A master of fine dining now reduced to fast food. Mm, That is tough. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Nice. Race to these jokes. You know, a couple of very specific. (laughs) I always think they bury the lead when they have a giant death bot in there, just like over there to the side. Like, mm-hmm. time for us to fight to the death. Well, luckily, Killotron. Oh yeah. right well, I mean, he did mention like that Clive was helping him with the camera for the cooking show and stuff mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> right. So it was set up there was something there. You know? Right. It's fun. Yeah. Incidental kill bots, not a sort of mm. out front and center kill for sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, David Milgay finishes up on art here as we see old London block of Britsit where seemingly all of the landmarks from London have been rehomed into a big stone walkway cut off and, and cut off from the rest of London where all the rich people uh, live. Also passing by, there's a double-decker bus with an ad for judge for a judge in the musical uh, He's, Miserab- He's Miserables, like, like Les Miserables. Ooh, right. He's miserable. Yeah. Anyway... Old, old London, it's a place of decadence and depravity as we see harassed humans, as we see rich folks harassing human servants and all kinds of things. But there's also a sinister underwear thief on the prowl. And these rich guys call up their man on the inside ju- judge major to get it dealt with. And he dispatches the Britsit brute. <laughs> Even though he's currently transporting the shocker rocker, who's a dude with electro powers who dresses up like Elvis due to karaoke accident, can only kind of speak in fragmented Elvis song lyric. Nude arrives quickly and blasts into the old London block, finding the thief and arresting him. But the rocker escapes as he does. Worried about the dangerous historic buildings, Major disengages Newt's weapons, he tackles the rocker, and catches, ties him up in various underwears and stuff like that. <laughs> the day is saved, and the rocker's all shook up. <laughs> Elvis things, I guess. Okay. Um, and I'll say more than the others in this series, in, in this set of stories, this third one really suffered from that muddiness in like the scan, I guess, or sort of in, in how it, it appears in the comic that we saw in the original Brit Sid Bruce. And this one, this third one especially also felt a little hard to follow. I got to waste a lot of, although I think especially the second two have a lot of like time jumps. Actually, all of them do. Like there's times jumping around in a lot of these in kind of confusing ways in Brit Sid Bruce, which I don't know if I right. appreciate yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a. Uh, I love the interesting buff guy. You know, there's a buff guy. He's a badass. He'll kill. He'll destroy whatever. It doesn't even matter. Um, and I love the, you know, judge your red nature of 
what ridiculous problem could we come up with this time? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it feels very um, scattershot. It's kind of just like all over the place. And I guess, I guess I have to give it credit for actually telling a, cons- you know, a story. There's a, you know, I, I've seen mm-hmm. that too many times too, where they're trying to do too many things. This is doing a lot, but it does it. It, the thing is yeah. done. Uh, yeah, it gets there in the end. Like it's, you know, it's sort of, it does what it, what it's looking to do to sort of have an action scene or two mm-hmm. and like a pith, a pithy quote at the end, basically. Right. Yes. Uh, but yeah, sure. Um, I do would love to see more about this particular judge. Like, what's his deal? Why is he, you know, it, like he he seems just like the Terminator. Just kind of like, I'm a kill machine. And then people tell me to kill things and I go and kill them. I'm like, but what are your hobbies? You know, I want to know that. Uh, nah, I might be asking for too much because I don't know Judge. I don't know Dredd's hobbies either. I assume it's just reading the law book. And I think uh, that's literally the case. Yeah. Like I've definitely seen seen him doing that on his day off, like where he's like required to take a day off, and he just like takes a bath and reads a law book. <laughs> right, but yeah, he still seems uh, pretty flat. The stories also seem pretty uh, one dimensional, aside from the the wacky premise and the punchline. I don't know. Maybe that's all you need. You know, maybe I'm asking for too much in my stories. You know, it's only got they only got a couple pages, so they can only do so much at right, a time, exactly. I guess. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'll give him a give him a satisfactory pat on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Now for a more satisfactory thing, let's take a quick break from stories and talk about covers, editorials, and dreadlines. Talking about all the non-comic stuff in these comics. Uh, issue 60, tasty. Trevor Harrison draws Harmony menaced by the toothy beak of that mutant war beast thingamajig. The editorials mostly just directing traffic as we're shifting stories in and out ahead of this big Wilderlands relaunch is one of these ones where it's like, all right, like let's got to finish up our current stories. And if there's time after those ones are finished before the next story starts, then we got to like put in one shot replacement. Um, after, um, oh, and it also, it, it also kind of talks about, yeah, about how the, how Brits and Brutes can have a couple like that. After Dread, there's a feature on the upcoming Dread yearbook, which we'll be talking about in a couple of Inquisition section is mostly questions like I feel like I know the answer to or that we from what from having read these comics closely. But one does ask, uh, but one does confirm that dredge, that judges go to the bathroom, which is good to know, okay. I guess. That is good to know. Yeah. In Dreadline, Dreadlines, and actually all of the Dreadlines in this set of issues has a lot of art talk. Um, this like this one has, has a lot of compliments for artists like Gary Marshall, McMahon and Trevor Harrison. Um and then complaints about reprints and specials and annuals, which I really feel in my heart. And there's also plugs. And then someone else managed to get a plug in for their Dread fanzine. Send in. They'll, I guess, send you a zine about Dread. I'm in faith, you know, someone who's basically operating one, a, an audio zine at this point as well, I can appreciate. <laughs> but it is funny that they sort of will print the address for people to send that, you know, we'll send a secondary address for a Dread fan club. Yeah. Issue 61, a lemmy skull on a tank cannon. Serenades metal heads in this Greg Staples covers. He's a headbanger. <laughs> the editorials mentions that, like I said earlier, that Costa Scare is now using uh, computer coloring for Dread. And apparently someone named uh, Trino Whiteside is editor for the day this issue. She won a contest that let her be the editor of the Judge Red magazine. Dave Bishop's just an assistant. Get out of here, Bishop. 
mid-issue, there's a plug for an upcoming Mean Machine a solo story and Missionary Man story in the magazine, which we'll be talking about, I saw it actually. And there'll be a contest in issue 63 to win 5,000 pounds, amount of pounds. Mid-issue, there's the result of a poll from previous issues about what like gifts people like to get for free in comics and what they like in the new magazine, as well as favorite dread novel. Good times. The Inquisition asks about the Prophecy 2020, which was this thing that happened way back in the early 80s, Eli, where basically a really powerful side judge um, prophesied the apocalypse coming in the year 2120 in Dreadworld. And that led to a big quest because there was one person who could like avert it or something that Dread sort of went on a big galaxy spanning quest to find and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like and then that kid was evil, so Dread mm-hmm. left to rot. Basically. It's complicated. <laughs> but there's this sort of, there's occasionally been this undercurrent of like, well, this, you know, this disaster we just had was pretty bad. Is that what, you know, mm. the prophecy for 2120 was? Or, you know, if he saw 2120 as the as like the end of the world and not or as a major like crisis and not you know, nukes going off or global zombie apocalypse or whatever, then what how bad could 2120 be? You know? mm. <laughs> Anyway, but the answer basically is that, like, Dread and the crew a while ago went to the future to see the aftermath of, tw- of, the, of the 2120 event, figured out what caused it, and destroyed the thing that caused it, basically. So the timeline's all messed up. Who knows? You know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, who's to say? Like, 2120 in Dread World is 2008 in our timeline. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get there, there could be a little something or two to um, commemorate that, that time. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm winking to say that, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's more a question of, of if we get there, than if there is something there when we arrive. Mm. You know? <laughs> the letters page has more art compliments and complaints. And there's several people trying to put in predictions for what they think is going to happen in Wilderlands. And the editor saying, no, you're wrong. That's not what happens. You guys are dumb. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Final issue, issue 62, causes Scarra draws dread going up against a sky shark with just a wooden stake in hand. The editorial announces all new stories starting next episode and says goodbye to our current set. The Inquisition asks about the Necropolis storyline, which is right at the start of um, us reading the magazine. They talk about something I mentioned last episode, which was the Dread Act that banned uh, animal testing. And also just ask about the uh, the mega news pages that appeared in the very early. Dreadlines has some very harsh letters about various artists to the point where the editor comes in and says, like, hey, guys, like, it was fun for a while, but no more of these letters Mm. saying people are dumb or like that their art looks like puke or something like that. Like, it's it's mean, not necessary. Stop being jerks. Then the rest of the letters are mostly complimentary about artists, which is nice. I'm all, I'm in mm. favor of that. No re- mm. need to be abusive. Mm. Right. And there's also a picture of uh, Trina Whiteside during her time as editor for a day around the 2080 offices, hanging out with that dread cosplayer that shows up at things and stuff like that. <laughs> and with that, we continue back to our stories and get going with Story 4 Harmony. Uh, script robot uh, Chris Stanley, art robot Trevor Harrison, and Jim Murray, letting robot Ellie DeVille. So, to me from last time, uh, badass, like, bounty hunter, desperado lady Harmony 
her buddy Zeke, who's got like a secondary buddy head coming out of his chest, and her ex-partner, now antagonist Havoc, have all been cornered by a bioengineered war beast. It's got chameleonic abilities, but it seems that her sled dogs can sense it. So the only plan they have is so the dogs attack the beast, and when it kills them, try to shoot it in the mouth, because that's its only unarmored part. <laughs> this doesn't seem to work, though. The beast comes at him, so Harmony gets Havoc to toss her a gun, and then Havoc, who gets a bigger gun somehow, blasts the beast in the face with a heavy cannon. It, um, as it dies, the, so it, it like screams at Harmony. It's like doing like that, ah, thing. And when it does that, yeah, he gets him right in the face, blows his head mm. off killing it but giving harmony a gun to do this means that now she's got the drop on havoc she's able to steal his vehicle and leave him to freeze out in the tundra i should mention that that through all this zeke has sort of run away in fear like three or four times from the monster (laughs) and so or just kind of being a bollocks as they say here in england um she just sort of leaves him behind in the frost as well don't freeze to death jerks and she rides off And that's it for Harmony until now, as we pick up in issue 62. (laughs) Um, Just a quick check-in for her, but the start of a larger story. It's our first time seeing Jim Murray on the podcast. He'll go on to do a a bit more work and a bunch of covers for 2000 AD in the magazine. Um, You might know more, Eli, because he's done about 70 magic cards as well. Oh, all right. And... If you're a uh, a five color commander jerk like me, then you'll recognize that he's the guy who did the art for uh, the Reaper King and Scion of the Ur Dragon, among oh, other things. Snap. That's cool. Yeah, I, I like to call out these magic guys. I don't know. Yes, I'm giving so many more cool points. Yeah. So the Transarctic Railroad has arrived in the town of Misery for the first time in 50 years, and with it comes prosperity, happiness, and trouble. Yeah. Zeke seems to be hustling some tourists and Harmony wants no part of it. So she heads to the bar. But as she's downing a shot, another cu- a couple approaches her and it seems they're after the bounty on her head. This leads to a gunfight that she quickly wins and heads off. But reports of that gunfight quickly uh, reach the train and it starts to leave. And we see that the couple then comes back after Harmony because they're wearing bulletproof vests. So they sort of survive being shot. You know, bad times. They shoot at Harmony again, and she sort of escapes around a corner as the train starts to to take off. The bounty hunters think she's hiding among some robot yaks and start to shoot them up, and that makes the yak stampede. Lots of stampedes, mm-hmm. and this big mass of robo yak then runs into the oncoming train, and one that Har- that Harmony was in fact hiding under gets hit by its cow catcher. She goes flying. The bounty hunters are very excited about this couple. They're like. You know, being very lovey-dovey and calling each other babe, doing all this. Like, oh, we got her, babe. Yeah, you're right, honey. That kind of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, they just kind of shoot Harmony in the back. Or they shoot Harmony and the screen goes black, which is ominous. Yeah. <laughs> She's clearly in trouble from these bounty hunters. And Harmony will return in early 1995. Maybe about 10 issues to go till we come back and see what Harmony's up to. Hopefully she'll be okay by then. Nice. That's fun. Uh, looking at it, I could, t- I could see the Scarecrow card, but I'm having trouble connecting it to Scion of Ur-Dragon, but that's fine. That has nothing to do with this comic. I mean, it's like, I you know, know, 12 pages. Yeah, it's like 12 mm-hmm. years in the future, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Styles evolve. Yeah, but it's, yes, yeah, fascinating uh, watching it, seeing how they use uh, line shapes, curves, cross-hatching for their shadows and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah, put I, think, my hat, 
put my artist judgment hat way on. You're like, this is a magic card <laughs> artist. I'm like, all right, well, oh no, crunch it down. I will yeah. say of the like of the I th- I think harmony is like my harmony is pretty much the the my favorite of the black and white um comic thing mm. that we're seeing in this in this issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has good it's, strength and ability. Yeah, it's just it's doing the least. I feel like mm. it's just kind of being like you know. Uh, let's draw pictures that look like things they're supposed to and not try to, you know, <laughs> do more than that. Right. Yes. I there's something, know. there's something refreshing about, I wanted to draw this thing and here it is. All right. Yeah. Not trying to be thing. more stylized or something like right. that, I guess. Yeah. It looks like they do put a lot of their style into the shading, like, um, cause it could be more legible. Um, because, but the cross hatching, how they try to make light, affect things kind of affects it in an interesting way um yeah it's still fine if you look at it you, you know you you get it but there is a moment like especially like when uh we were, before we got into the stampede like it's like wait are all the these are all cows but you kind of get lost in like where's the head where's the body yeah like, well i kind of like that yeah that robo yak section you know right. like, sort of, like in the start of the story there's like dialogue of someone trying to do the sales pitch for these robot yaks and you know, as they stampede, like the or as they get shot and stampede, like the owner of the yaks comes like, "You're kill! Don't shoot my yaks! No, my babies!" That kind of stuff. It's right. Funny. Yeah. Adds a, adds a slapstick air to it that I appreciate. It, I right. Say. It's what you need with your stampedes. You know, you need a little bit more humor. I always say that. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's a funny thing. A stampede generally. Bunch of, mm. Bunch of cows going in one direction. This is a silly thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, speaking of stylized art, Eli, let's quickly go to Story 5, Anderson, Side Division. A scripture about Alan Grant, art about Steve Sampson, learn about Annie Parkhouse. Judge Cassandra Anderson's been traveling through space for quite a while, but we've reached the end of her journey here. Uh, last time she met a mysterious witch-type lady with a bunch of wolves out in the desert. And now she's in that lady's cave as the witch, as she uh, mi- mixes a witch type brew, like a bright green brew, and pours it out on the fire to create, you know, spooky smoke and starts playing a, uh, you know, bongo drum as you do. And this sends Anderson into a trance of strange visions and shapes. She sees the web of reality and just all the different choices her life could have made. There's a nun Anderson. There's a sexy soldier Anderson. There's a sex worker Anderson with a sweet dragon tattoo. There's realities where she marries this guy, Mikhail, from the uh, Shambhala story. Where she has a baby. And both of them, she's kind of just wearing black panties or whatever. It's, right. Know, these, are the, these are the futures that we live in, I guess. As she hears the rhythm of the drum, the witch seems to ask, You thought you were lost. But how can you be lost when you've never been found? Before Anderson can answer, she has a vision of an eagle soaring through the sky that's then attacked by a pterodactyl-like vulture, and in turn, that vulture is attacked by a bat. The eagle of justice, the vulture of death, and the bat. What can it mean? In the morning, she hugs the witch, and in turn, the witch gives her a map and enough water to get back to Devil's Rock. Anderson heads off, feeling like she's been reborn, and for the first time in a long time, she knows where she's going. The end. (laughs) And I'll say that this story clearly ends teasing 
an upcoming uh, Dread Batman crossover. Right, yes. Um, that won't actually happen until 1998 because mm-hmm. the artist is, 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 is taking some time to get it finished up. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Or I, I think, or like, I don't want to be too mean because I think it might have been, he had some health problem like that. Mm-hmm. But basically, mm-hmm. it, was, it was supposed to come out like sort of in 95. It's not mm-hmm. coming out in 95 is the mm-hmm. point. <laughs> You need time. You can't, you know, you don't want to undercook it. You got to let it get ready and let it percolate. Absolutely. But <laughs> Batman or not, Anderson will return in a February mm. of 1995. Right. I do like that, uh, regardless of what dimension Anderson's in, she's going to be sexy. Like, that's, there's no, there is no dimension where Anderson oh, yeah. <laughs> Sexy nun, sexy sex worker, assassin. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's bound by fate. Bound by fate for sexiness, <laughs> just like me. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> or something. Uh, I don't know. But, but yeah, it's no, it's yeah. I th- I thought that was funny too. That definitely, like, yeah. Well, of course, I'm going to be sexy. Obviously, right. yeah. Uh, but um, I like I like the story. I remember I remember this artist when they first started, and they are improving a lot mm-hmm. with things that aren't sexy ladies. Like they seem to be taking models and then like you know yeah uh, yeah we've talked about this a lot i think yeah that that, that's definitely his move and so but but improvement i see improvement in the other departments so i appreciate it putting that work in get the sense that like he found this witch lady with her boob tattoo and stuff and (laughs) found a photo shoot of her walking around there might have been one with the wolf there was definitely one where she was playing a drum it's just like all right like i've got this you know (laughs) right yeah, that's, it's fun. And I think it uh, suits well for, you know, Anderson's uh, drug trips that, you know, when she's getting high and tripping balls. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> she's, gone, she's gone through a, a drug trip heavy period of her life, I must yeah, say. Exactly. Sort of, we've all been to college. You know, we've all been there. It's, it's relatable. Consciousness regularly being altered, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so. Let's continue on, though, because, yeah, again, more. I, th- I think actually Harmony and Anderson will be back at the same time in February of 95. Uh, mm. Lady heavy issue. I, but meanwhile, let's head down. You know, we were just in space, but now let's head down to Australia, an equally alien. Mm. Or Story six, O'Rourke. Gifted by Jim Alexander, Art Robot, Lowell, Letting Robot, Gordon Robson, this uh, Calhab Justice. All new story here. The intro page says we're in Oz, which is Dreadworld, Australia. As in a city block, we see a dude in Bermuda short, watch a kid named Totem enter his apartment with a bunch of scrap metal. His mom yells at him about it. It seems he's making some kind of weird metal shrine in his room. Elsewhere, another dude at a construction site hangs upside down, but then suddenly explodes. There's a big like skull explosion thing. What caused it is a mystery, and it's printed as such in the newspaper, which is being read by this guy, O'Rourke, who's an older dude, long long white hair and black eyes. There's a 10,000 cred reward for info about the Apple Cross fatality. It was the Apple Cross construction site. And O'Rourke needs to get that info. First, he's got to scare off a guy, scare off that dude from the start, from the start of the story who saw the kid. He says... That the kid lives alone, and they can like kill him and sell him to organ leggers. I guess. Yeah, like you do. Which is ominous, if just because we saw the mom there, and she said he's lived alone. So what does that mean? That's a congruence. Mm, right. I but also, 
Yeah, but also not cool to be an organ lagger. Don't like that, you know. Right. Killing right. people right. to take their organs? No way. Um, anyway, O'Rourke takes a nap or kicks him out and ta- then takes a nap, wakes up at night and goes to investigate the building site where he's attacked by a guard dog and one of the builders. Uh, O'Rourke fights the, the builder, Eamon, off. Shout out to my buddy Eamon. Has the same name as this guy. Um, <laughs> and learns that there was a kid snooping around for scrap right before the accident occurred. Elsewhere, we see the Bermuda Shorts dude threaten the kid with a knife. And O'Rourke arrives home to find his office swarming with, uh, with, with judges. As Judge Dirk shows him some photos. The Bermuda Shorts guy... Archie Poland was found with an exploded head and was last seen at O'Rourke's office. So they're taking him downtown for questioning. So after some questioning, O'Rourke's released and one of the uniform judges who's his friend tips him off to a note telling him where to go next, basically. At the batty block, we see that Totem is reading Kafka's Metamorphosis, that, that book, and building some sort of human body out of a bunch of different scrap electronics and stuff. O'Rourke enters the apartment feeling the electricity, passing through what seems to be the electric ghost of Totem's mom. And then when he pass, when she passes through him, he cycles through what seems parts of his mysterious past, I guess. It's not clear what these images are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, he gets back into the apartment, sees a giant pile of machinery, the Totem, this kid Totem crap crackling with energy, we learned that he killed his mother, but also built a robot shrine to her. O'Rourke approaches the kid, blood randomly popping out of his face for some reason, and grabs him. Um, and that causes a big, a big explosion. And then the judges arrive, uh, arrive to clean up. The kid will be sent to side division to become a cadet. And O'Rourke will get that bounty money that was offered. It'll be hard for him to sign the check because his hands are all bandaged from the explosion. And that's the end, I guess. I, I don't know. There's sort of a lot of questions at the end of this. And they won't be answered because this is the last we'll see of O'Rourke, though he'll show up briefly in the 1995 Mega Special. Huh. That's really interesting because it looks like they were setting something up. I'm like, okay, so this is the beginning of a, yeah. you know, this, this guy. This very much, yeah, it's very much a pilot for a, sto- for a story that, that never gets picked up because they do mm-hmm. a lot to set up his backstory. He's got a mysterious past. He's got, mm, you right. know, you've got this kind of cast of characters even of, um, you've got a secretary. There's like two judges, like one judge hates him and one judge likes him and stuff like mm. that. Sort of, right. they're set up for a story and characterization here, but they aren't, they don't, nothing comes of it basically. All right. Well, okay. You know, that's sort of, you know, I think we, we, we've been pretty good about stories continuing and stuff, but this is a, just right. a weird moment of now just, yeah, then they gave it a shot. Didn't you got to remember that, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. Definitely. I feel, you know, I feel like in some of my other readings, like, you know, I'm I'm reading uh, the, what, the, uh, the, the Shonen Jump manga and, mm-hmm. you know, right. for every, for every story that has like, 400 chapters are going on for 30 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's ones that have like 16 chapters. I'm just like, all right. right. And that's it. It right. got a quarter and that's all she wrote, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. On the next yeah. thing. Yeah. There's actually, I know, I know there's a like Shonen Jump graveyard where there's like, there's hundreds of those that are like, wow, how promising. Anyway, we're done with that. You'll never hear about it again. Not enough. No, yeah. got to that. Got to the end of that first season, and that was it. You know, right. <laughs> whatever. Exactly. 
And that takes us to our final story, Story 7, Heavy Metal Dread. Gift robot John Wagner and Alan Grant, art robot Simon Bisley, letter robot Tom Frame, Simon Bisley back on Dread, which is nice. Um, I'm not sure if these were originally in a different ma- in, in, in a different magazine or what. These are definitely formatted for an older thing, just because they have a title on the top instead of taking advantage of the credit page at the start of the story. Sure. Like Good observation. And I know, well, and I know especially these Bisley heavy metal dreads, at least the initial ones we saw were in like a, a heavy metal magazine mm-hmm. that was sort of like, here's some extra filler for a heavy metal magazine that's also published by the same p- company that's publishing Judge Dredd in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, which is why these are much more, you know, I, I think the initial one, like I, I know the first one was an actual musical and these ones are both mm-hmm. very musical or either music based or very extreme, like a metal mm-hmm. head would yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. And of course, it's fun to see Simon Bisley, who is one of these big talents from 2000. In the U.S., he's definitely best known for like Lobo and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just sort of, you know, one of these big, big guy, a, a star that bracing us, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, in the cursed earth, a bunch of bozos have driven out to dig into the dirt and eventually find the head of Iron Fist. There's not a lot of explaining it, but apparently this uh, guy was a, a heavy metal rocker, was, you know, performing his second encore when the bombs that caused the cursed earth fell um, landed on. And his head's clearly Lemmy from Motorhead, just for the record. You know, yes, uh, yes. Heavy metal. I, you know, I'm sorry, not the hugest Motorhead guy. Pardon. I know he's God. That's, a, that's all I know. Um, <laughs> anyway, they fitted him with laser eyes and a micro motor to talk and stuff. And now Iron Fist is back. It's time for the big comeback concert at the Megadome, of course. His head's mounted on the barrel of a tank, and he drives the crowd wild with his various songs. Um, Ace of Spades become Asian Space. It's, I don't know. It's weird. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, after the songs end, though, he talks to the crowd and starts saying some incendiary stuff. The future sucks. Down with the judges. There's too much law. All these kinds of things. And Judge <laughs> Dredd's on the scene and not pleased. <laughs> As this happens, a riot brews, of course. And so Dredd, appro- you know, night uh, day sticks his way through the crowd, approaches the skull, and then, you know, uses his uh, day stick to just cave cave that skull right in. Oh, no, he killed Iron Fist. <laughs> a riot breaks out and the judges respond. And in the end, there's 37 dead, 90 hospitalized and 14,000 arrested. The bozos that uh, dug Lemmy, uh, that dug Iron Fist up get, get 40 years each. The promoter gets 20 because he always gets 50% of the take. And Iron Fist himself would have laughed at the style of his latest comeback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, oddly satisfactory. You kind of, yeah, yeah, this is you know, good stuff. I'm, a, I'm always a big fan of just mega citizens being pushed to riot. You know, right. that's, a, yeah. that's a fun thing. I, I like that, that they're all so ready to fight to try right. what I had. Exactly. And then, um, uh, then justice always wins in the end. And then it feels, you know, the, the crushing defeat always follows. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, great. You get knocked down for sure. Right. And it's just anyway, uh, one yeah. guy being like, hey, maybe judges shouldn't be doing all that. Judges you know, kick the door down. <laughs> kill <them. laughs> Beat you up for saying it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's so- great. Our final story, it would have been the night before Christmas if Simon had hit his deadlines, 
But for now, here in August, Santa's flying into Mega City One, but gets shot down by city defense in a welter of reindeer gore, crawling through a, pie, in a stream of blood with one eyeball hanging out of his head. Santa goes to deliver presents, but Dread shows up and just blows a thousand holes in him, gruesomely kills Santa. And I don't know, Eli. <laughs> like, um, this is a little grim for me to, for this to be a really fun story. Maybe I'm just a square, but I, I, I'm not a huge fan of these stories about Santa being violently murdered, you know? Right. It's um, I'm, I'm mostly okay with Santa, you know? Yeah, it's it's a metaphor, you know? There's only two ways they could have done. They could have went Futurama, where there's murder, murder Santa, where he's yeah. just... But I think Judge Dredd's already that. You know, he's already... Everyone's guilty, so no one gets it. Um or they had to show that, no, um, the military defense of this location is so high that there's no room for Santa. Santa can't get in here. We, we kill him. I'm positive I've seen Dredd arrest and beat up Santa at least once in the past. I swear right. to God that's happened already. Right. Like this is covered ground, you know. Yeah. They need to get further and explain why there's so many Santa clones that keep every year trying to uh, – uh, break into Mega City One, and how that's never going to work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, Santa, Dread calls a meat wagon and is called, and then is called to deal with a traffic disturbance caused by three wise men with camels blocking traffic. Mm. Merry belated metal Christmas to all. Mm-hmm. It's very metal. Yeah, they just couldn't couldn't have a happy ending in Metal Dread. You know, it's somebody trying to do something. Dread comes in, murderizes them, and then yeah. all right, we're, we're back at it. Or at least, like, the happy ending is Dread arresting these lawbreakers or something yeah, like that. exactly. You know? Right. <laughs> That's <Something>. fun. <laughs> All right. And with that, Eli, we've reached the end of our comics. So I must know, what are your top and bottom stories for this? Issue 62 of the Judge Dread Magazine, Volume 2. Try to memorize what my top and bottom are. Usually looking at them helps me a lot. There's, there's Dread, Karen... Ritz and mm-hmm. Root. I have to put Karen, Karen on bottom, actually. Okay. I, um, art style was fine, but the story just didn't end in a satisfactory way. Um, and finding out that uh, she doesn't even look the way I think she looks in my head. For some reason is a little bit more of a downer than I... Oh, sorry, buddy. Could. It's okay. You know, just... Uh, it's hard. Um, usually I'm not as big a fan of uh, heavy metal dread, but they actually did all right with these ones. I didn't, I, I think because they didn't go too gross. I think the gross thing yeah, I saw. Well, I think, thing, yeah, I think guy. it's it's the different artists. Cause it's the difference between Simon Bisley and uh, John Hinklinton, who also does the heavy metal. Mm, got it. Okay, that's that's interesting. I hadn't noticed. I had thought it was one guy, and he just toned it down sometimes. No, no, but, no. I think like there's Bisley where the where I, I think for those ones, the heavy metal dreads are reprints from this, like the heavy metal magazine or whatever. Mm. Whereas I think with Hinklinton, they put the heavy metal dread label on it to sort of say like, hey, these are the gross ones or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so I put um, put that on bottom. Let's see. What's my top? Huh. Uh, let me quick look. I still like Mechanismo. I like where that's going. They have a lot of different things that they're playing around with. So I think that's the one that's got me most excited for what they do with it next. 
Um, I thought there was a runner-up as well. I'm also liking Harmony. Yeah. Oh, nice. I think I think Mechanismo will get my first place. Harmony will get my second place. And it's, yeah. Yeah. Me- Mechanismo, aka Mainline Judge Dredd. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yes. Exactly. It's got uh, the robots in it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I just love my robots, you know? And I also love the weird uh, spiritual slash sci-fi warnings that they're going around. I'm hoping they ended it in a satisfying way, but even if things go terribly wrong and uh, any of those plots get lost, I still feel like it would still come out uh, pretty good overall. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what are you, uh, your top and bottom? Oh, man. Okay, I will say, I think for me... My bottom thrills the uh, Brits at Brute. I didn't really like Brits at mm-hmm. Brute this time. Yeah, it was a little scattershot, a little all over the like place. Like it was just, it was kind of confusing and also weirdly dense, I guess. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. you've got these problems with just the colors being very muddy on the page. <laughs> right. I really noticed with Brits at Brute somehow, I don't know. So I think it just feels like, like a real victim of scanning or something like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. For my top, I'm tempted to say Harmony, actually. I liked Harmony a lot. Um Great. I think this character's fun, and mm. it's got these sort of gunfights and car chases and things like that that are like, you know, yeah. just very, very, very vanilla and popcorn and very yeah. just sort of fun to read, I guess. Like, right. they're not really trying to, you know, they aren't reinventing the wheel. They aren't doing anything too mind bending or anything. Or they're just sort of fun actions. Yeah, that's always been your jam. Yeah. Kind of, you don't need a lot. You just need, hey, well done action stuff. And, I'm a you know, simple guy with simple taste, Steel. You know? Right. Yeah. I just want to <laughs> want some explosions and some and some quips, you know. And I and I want to and I want to be able to see what's going on. Like, yes. Vis- visible, violent, something quip. quip related with the V. Right. You know, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Although I am enjoying Dread a lot. John mm. Wagner and Carlos Escara on Dread is, is Dread, mm. so. That's a good. That's a good combo. They're telling an interesting story here, but honestly, it's not that it takes points away, but it's just like I'm waiting for Wilderlands to start, which I'm very excited mm-hmm. about. And right. So you know, anything that I'm like, any of my positives I would have for this story here, I feel like I'm saving up in my head because I'm like, oh, but when mm-hmm. the actual story starts, that's going to mm-hmm. be the big prologue. Yeah. So, I can totally see that. Yeah, and I'm also realizing I'm a sucker for mechanismo. Meantime, they're like a robot, and Judge doesn't like it. I'm like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> well, you know, we've only only got more Robo Judges in the future, I think. Right, like they definitely <laughs> appear in the comic to this day, one way or another. Definitely, mm-hmm. you know, worth keeping an eye on for. I'm excited. I'm glad so. you like them more than you hate them. If you hated yeah. them, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cool. All right. So I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find. Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, BigOne.com. Contact us, BigBigOne at gmail.com, the 2008 forums with our Facebook or Twitter pages. All those, Big Meg One with one written out, and you'll find us. And drop us a rating and review wherever it is you listen to us or suggest us some podcast. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends, the 2008. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradline. That's the podcast network. Support the show, get advanced episodes, and come back next time as we get all new stories from Armitage, Calhab Justice, and Missionary Man. Plus, we'll start an all-new Mean Machine solo story, which I'm pretty excited about, and head to the Wilder Zone as the Wilderlands mega epic begin. Till then, I'm Conrad Darielai, and we are Big Mac One. Rocky.